Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tenem Coaching Academy, a skipping agile non-denominational podcast. And we are your hosts today, Shuri Silas and I, Alex Goodenough. And today we have uh, Val Hastings. He's an MCC, and he is the president of actually two organizations, Coaching for Clergy and Coaching for Today Leaders. And I know that Cherie started her coaching path uh, with Val, with his uh, organization, with his school. So we're talking to kind of proto-father of Tandem Coaching Academy. Yes, yes. That's where it started. Val, really good to have you here. Hey, um, Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Alex and Suri. It's good to be with you. Suri, I remember when you started with our training program, we're proud of the fact that you're an MCC at this point. It's really exciting to see one of our graduates at that point. So my name is Val Hastings. Um, As Alex mentioned, I'm a master certified coach. I've been coaching since 1999. Doesn't feel like that long ago. It was a great year. It was a great year. Yeah, it was. And uh, I am the founder of two organizations, Coaching for Clergy, Coaching for Today's Leaders. I've just recently spent the last year during this COVID pandemic interviewing 21 internal coaches from around the world and put all that the interview information together in a book called uh, Coaching from the Inside Out. And uh, I'm excited about that because I learned some really interesting things about internal coaches and coaching inside. So sounds like you've been busy during COVID, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you used Zoom a lot. So as, oh man, as we all did, so, I have the Zoom glasses to take care of it. Too. <laughs> so coaching from inside out, mm-hmm. what what's different between coaching from outside in? Oh wow, where do I begin? Um, first of all, mo- most of the coaching and coach training that I received was really modeled after the external coach model, where someone outside of the organization who really has very little history or relationship comes in, coaches, and then leaves. Uh, nothing wrong with that model. It's, it's been very, very effective, very helpful. Um, internal coaching or coaching from the inside is – Really, how do I, as someone who's part of this organization with a history, how can I use the coaching skills to really develop and to move this organization as well as the individuals forward? So you're, you're, you're living day to day. Um, you, you do what I call, um, coaching on the fly often. So it's not a schedule and appointment, but as you're going out to get a cup of coffee, walking down the hallway, going from one Zoom meeting to the next, you do coaching. On the fly. So. Yes, indeed. Coaching, yeah. coaching in the hallway. Yeah, hallway coaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then as you look at internal coaching versus external coaching, what are mm-hmm. some of the, maybe the competencies or skills that are different? Well, um, so, so I saw all of the core competencies being used uh, internally as well as externally. Perhaps the the way in which they were used or the emphasis was different. So, for example, um, one of the things that we noticed you know, uh, being used extremely well was what we call hat switching. So as an external coach, I want to stay in the role of coach primarily, you know, 90, 95 percent of the time, occasionally changing hats if needed for my client. But as an internal coach, 
because you already have a history with people and you also have other roles, you need to switch hats kind of, kind of like in that hallway, you know, in the moment, coach, consultant, supervisor, peer, back and forth, all to really advance the person forward. And, and so, I mean, you, you have to become masterful at that, Siri, uh, as an internal coach. Yeah, so. that makes me wonder. I know that you interviewed um, regular internal coaches, non-agile mm-hmm. internal coaches, let's mm-hmm. that, and then a bunch of agile coaches. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if there's any difference between, um, like I know agile coaches do a lot of consulting and training mm-hmm. and all that. What about the other internal coaches? So, so I, I think the the difference is the de- the degree or the amount. So mm. regular internal coaches, I don't I saw the hat switching not as much. Agile coaches, that was just regular because you you have different uh, roles or or modes that you operate under. So it's much more pronounced in the agile world. Hmm. And so it sounds like a lot of hats, and hopefully they are not worn on the head at one time. Otherwise, yes. it, it, it's like, you know, they say English crown is very heavy. So mm-hmm. too many hats on the head might hurt your neck. And um, as you're talking about kind of coaching in the hallways, uh, what's coming mm-hmm. up for me, we teach our students uh, not to do ninja coaching, right? To mm-hmm. have, always to have the agreement always to have this understanding with the client that I'm a coach or I'm this or I'm that. So, Mm -hmm. and as you are walking down the hallways and you kind of constantly in this mode or more often in this mode, what do you see of importance to actually stay away from ninja coaching, but still be able Uh to do coaching on the fly? Yeah. Um, Well, the first guiding principle that was reinforced by every internal coach was the coaching stance that it all begins with that coaching approach of listening, really resisting the urge to jump in right away with, you know, another hat or another modality, but it all begins with that. Um, Another theme that came across just loud and clear was who coaches the coach because you're on all the time, even when you're going down the hallway you know, when you're eating lunch, like Sheree, you're on your lunch break right now. You're still, you know, in coach mode, you know, and so, so you really need someone to help you, you know, an extra set of eyes so that you're at your best so that someone can call you out on what's happening. One person uh, highlighted one of the uh, coaches from the UK said, you know, I really just need to learn how to leave my stuff at the door when I walk into the organization. I can't bring my stuff in, my biases, you know, because I'm part of the organization, I have an investment in this. I've got to have someone helping me with that. Um, So, you know, those are some things that came through loud and clear. Alex, I don't know if that's getting at, you know, the ninja coach you're talking about. or That that brings another interesting point. So where do coaches go for that help? Because if you're part of organization, uh, mm-hmm. You live and breathe that air, that politics, those kind of events. So how do you actually go about leaving it at the door? Yeah. Um, so, so having a coach or someone can be very, very helpful. Um, um, many of the internal coaches, 
have buddied up with people within their organization. Although, as I mentioned before our recording, what I noticed with the agile coaches is that they have relationships outside of their immediate organization that they're part of, which affords them the opportunity now to do some peer coaching, even just to check in regularly with someone. Hey, here's what's happening. Can you give me your thoughts on this? Um, and I think that's incredibly helpful. And that was one of the things that the non-agile coaches reported that they desperately need. Um, in fact, they went so far as to say in, in the chapters and in the gatherings of international coaching associations, when they went as an internal coach, they often felt very disconnected and didn't feel that support that they wanted. And so I really think we've got to be very intentional for the internal coach to, to help create that kind of an environment for them. And as you're talking about that, so uh, that reminds me that in agile coaching, we are yet to have that code of ethics or kind of guiding ethical principles. And it's actually more fertile environment for sharing ideas, sharing stories, because what happened in the room, I mean, there's nothing that would stop some agile coach to go and talk about that with partners, with friends, with greater community. And then you go to professional coaching, you're still an ICF coach, you still subscribe to Code of Ethics. So uh, what's happening there, how uh, professional coaches can still get that help and still stick with the Code of Ethics and confidentiality? Well, um, I'm training a group of uh, internal coaches right now for a, a large organization, and they've decided to adopt the code of ethics from the International Coach Federation because they didn't have anything internally. Now they, they probably need to adapt that a little bit. And so, uh, in the next week or so, they've made an, uh, an appointment with their legal advisor at their organization. Just help us through some sticky situations that we think might occur. Um, but they basically adopted the code of ethics. Uh, one of the things that they've created that, that I, you know, after you write a book, you always think, oh, I wish I'd included this in. They've actually created a number of scenarios, real life scenarios that they've coached through. They've changed the names. They've sanitized it so you can't figure out who it is. And then created this, this whole series of just scenarios, um, that future coaches that I'll train or they'll train can really benefit from, you know, reading through and seeing how this was actually coached. That sounds Sorry. like it might be a book all by itself. <laughs> it, it, it could be, Sherry. Yeah. 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 It, it could be. And you know what showed up a lot in the scenarios was EQ or lack of EQ. Yeah. So um, what I've noticed is, or what I've always subscribed to as an agile coach is, while we may not be coaching all the time, in fact, agile coaching, you're probably only coaching coaching, um, what we would call professional coaching for a very small amount of time. But what you're doing is taking a coach approach. I, I am a coach. I behave like a coach. I think like a coach. I ask questions before giving answers, all that stuff. Um, like a coach would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that in your book, you, you've, 
when you talk to everybody, you, you kind of came up with some guiding principles that are like the big ones that people are saying, if you're going to do this, do this. What are are some of those that you think are kind of most valuable to highlight? Yeah. So we came up with 11 uh, different guiding principles. I think some of the biggies, um, one of the biggest was demonstrate your worth that uh, internal coaches often make the assumption that because they're employed or hired within the organization, that they're safe, that they don't have to demonstrate their worth or provide data or stories. That is a myth. That is a myth. <laughs> it is a myth. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during COVID times and, and companies are cutting back. Uh, it is not enough for your immediate supervisor or for HR to know the stories and to have the data. Um, across the board, coaches were saying you've got to find ways to to send those stories up to the top, to the to the top decision makers, so that they're regularly hearing and have quick access to information. Also important um, under demonstrating your worth to regularly educate people as to what coaching is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though you might start out with a clear understanding of coaching, it quickly falls into uh, uh, some kind of punitive approach, which coaching is not. So that was the biggie. Demonstrate your worth coaching the system. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the agile coaches, that was just part of what they, they do. Um, those that were not agile, for many of them, coaching the system was a brand new idea. Um, so they were coaching individuals, teams, and groups, but for whatever reason, never thought that they could actually coach the entire organization. And so, you know, Sharia Tandem, you've got a really great program on coaching the system um, that, you know, I included snippets of that in the book. So that was another biggie that's there. Uh, Vernon in China talks about living with your mess as an internal coach. This is a, a great image. He said, you know, external coaches are like seagulls. They fly in, leave a deposit, and fly out. <laughs> internal coaches... You're living in that mess, you know, day to day. And because you're living in the mess, I mean, I mean, that hallway coaching is totally different than as an external coach, um, contracting matters yeah. and conflicts of interest. Not mm-hmm. if we have conflicts of interest, but because you're coaching throughout the entire system, it is inevitable. You've got to look for them. You've got to be aware of them. You've got to educate people on them. Yeah. And the other one, uh, another one that came from you, Cherie, was to give conflict a voice. Hmm. Uh, again, conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we give it a voice, we can avoid the combat at all costs. So that's just the highlight of them. So. Yeah. Hearing you say that last one, it makes me wonder how many of those coaches talked about resistance. In the system, and I, I, I mm. agile coaches, I think, talk a lot about that, but I don't know about other internal coaches. Um, so, so I'll, I'll use, for example, the the group that I'm training right now. Over half of them are HR talent development individuals, so they've they've got a pretty good amount of influence mm-hmm. uh, within the system, um, and and so there isn't, at least at this point, a whole lot of resistance. But what I am hearing is that as they get out further to the real decision makers, you know, the three or four people that really hold the power. Um, they say things like, 
know, if we can get so-and-so on board, we've got it. If they don't get this, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like, so getting on board and then living with that mess is somewhat different for internal coaches than external coaches because external coaches might just say, yeah, it would be good to get them on board. What do you want to do about that? And then internal coaches have more skin in the game and yeah. they have to live with the decisions that yep. with them, but also yep. coaches make. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you mentioned that contracting um, and kind of conflict of interest uh, are more prevalent uh, in these internal coaches than external coaching. So how does one prepare for that? Well, I, I, I think one of the things is not if it happens, but when. So you know, as an internal coach, there are going to be potential conflicts of interest. So you might be coaching someone and end up coaching their supervisor as well. And, um, even though you're not talking about each of them, there's even just the appearance. Oh, I wonder what my coach told them about me. You have to be very, very careful of that. Um, even I, I know of a number of internal coaches that have actually gone so far as to say that in that relationship that I've talked about where you're coaching a, you know, the, the employee as well as the supervisor, where they've actually said, I can't coach both of you. Yeah. You know, we need to decide. Uh, other coaches have said, you know, if they're, if they're coaching the team, they will not coach the team leader one-to-one. Again, it needs to be another person so that, you know, we're, we're not having this uh, conflict of interest so that really the individual is getting cared for as well as the team. Um, so it's really just knowing to look for it and stepping up and talking about it. Um, probably talking about it in advance, Alex. <laughs> so going yeah. for that awareness. Yeah. We keep talking a lot about awareness for our clients and mm-hmm. here comes awareness for the coaches. Ta-da. Yes. 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 And, and you also mentioned that uh, in Agile world specifically, kind of talking about ROI is a very big topic. And look, mm-hmm. for a good reason, because there's a lot of mess in Agile world, right, yeah. where people come in and then transformations fail. So people want to show the results. So I'm wondering for internal coach and primarily professional coach where you still kind of changing those hats, but still you are in professional capacity. What are some ways you observed, you noted that are good uh, to show ROI, to show your kind of value to the organization? Sure, sure. So um, surveys, um, you know, even just very uh, informal surveys uh, came up, came through on those interviews asking before questions and after questions. So if you're brought in to work with an individual or a team on communication, conflict, do a quick before survey, then afterwards follow up. Um, that's a very simple way to do that. Um, most of the agile coaches also have uh, a number of assessments and tools that they use uh, where they can actually do some measuring as well. Um, 360s came up quite a bit. Um, in Europe, especially in England, I heard a lot talking about the use of storytelling. 
you know, were you with the person's permission, changing names, of, of course, sanitizing things, but telling the story mm-hmm. of, you know, here's, here's what has been reported back to me from this individual. Um, stories have a way of kind of staying with people and kind of connecting. We connect with stories that in a way that we do differently than with data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that seemed to be a, a big thing. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, I have coaching for clergy. Stories are big in the clergy world, much more important, it seems, at times than data. So that would be a way to do that in faith-based organizations. Yeah. Well, that that makes me wonder about how coaching internally and for-profit or non-profit organizations is similar to clergy coaching in their, mm. their space. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, almost every clergy I know wants the coaching skill set. I hear things like, where was this training? I mean, we deal with people and we're, you know, how do we bring out the best in people? How do you do that when you've not been equipped? And so, you know, everyone that I know in the faith based world wants the skill set. So there's a lot of similarity. Everybody wants to know how to be a coach. Um, in fact, I was just before our call, I was uh, reading through a, a, a 2020 coaching survey. It said that 74%, three and four manager leaders, this is across the board, uh, want to enroll in a coach training program at some point. They just uh-huh. see the the value. Three out of four manager leaders. Yeah, what's, here we are, right? Them? Yes. <laughs> so they see the value of it. It's a little different, though, in the faith-based world, very relational, uh, not so much around strategy, whereas when you're with uh, uh, for-profits, it, I mean, the relational part's there, big on strategy, though, too. Yeah, mission, vision, all of that. So there's some differences there. Well, I know when I was a pastor and I started coaching, um, I was always like, I am not a counselor. I cannot, mm. I'm getting involved in that. Nobody's suing me. And then when I, when I learned coaching, I was like, now this I can do. Yeah. If you need counseling, go to a counselor. Yeah. If you need coaching, we're all over it. Right? Yeah. Well, um, if we go back to the organizations, um, was there a difference that you heard between the experience of employees who were internal coaches and external contract type people who were there as internal coaches? And did anything come up with that? Mm, let's see. Well, I mean, some some of the differences were the internal coaches usually knew the names and the people that were being talked about in the coaching session. So they, mm-hmm. they knew the stories in advance. Ah. So there was always this sense of, I need to keep that in check. That may or may not be helpful. <laughs> um, external yeah. coaches came in as a complete blank slate. You know, tell me more about this. Now that that was a, a big thing I noticed. Um a lot of the internal coaches, I mean, there, there is a camaraderie when you're part of an internal coach team. Yeah. There's a camaraderie that's there. External coaches, you're often solo and it can be very lonely. Um, so the internal, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit envious. I've been an external coach most of my time all on my own. I've had to surround myself with a team intentionally. Internal coaches, you've got that there. Um, 
So, I mean, those are some of the differences. Is that getting at what you're mm-hmm. asking, yeah, Sherry? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. so going back to your uh, 11 guiding principles, so mm-hmm. it's 11, it's not 10. And I, I, I was kind of, how many of those 10, thou shall not kill? <laughs> so you did one more. I did one more. <laughs> you did one more. So what is the most important there? What is the, well, the, the first one is the most important. It always begins with the coaching stance. Hmm. Ah. I, I think that, that across the board, it always begins with that. Um, so to me, that is the most, you get that right, you've got the rest. Hmm. Yeah. What does yeah. it mean you get it right? Um, so the coaching stance is that it always begins with listening and, and it's not, and it's a certain type of listening. We're not listening for what's wrong or broken. But for what's possible, what's emerging, what could be, uh, we're listening for the greatness and, and we're listening without assumptions. So even though I'm part of this organization and have a history, I'm going to do my best to not set that aside altogether, but to put that over to the side so that I can hear what I might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know, to listen and, and I might bring in some of my history and my experience, but I'm going to try and just not bring assumptions here into the conversation. And we touched a little bit on that. And I'm still kind of struggling with the idea that when you're part of the organization, when you kind of immersed, steeped in, in everything, everyday life there, that, uh, well, I understand it's not easy, but it's even possible to put aside what you know and to listen for what's emerging, to listen for the benefit of the client, rather than to listen to to yourself, kind of that level one listening. Um, so I'm wondering if there are any uh, suggestions that you have for internal coaches, kind of to to steal or to. Um, reinforce their ability to kind of get into that stance and stay there. Mm. So, so I think one, just being aware of it, just kind of, if, if it, if you need to put a placard in front of your computer or something that just says it all begins with listening, just remember that all the time. Um, that reminder will be helpful. Here's where having a coach can be helpful. So you have someone that you're taking stuff to where you can say, hey, I'm wondering if here's the scenario. Here's where um, internal coaches, because you probably have a cohort or a team of coaches, you can regularly get together and share scenarios, share here's what's going on. Call me on this. Um, you know, you can really um, give each other permission to 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 say things, to step in. Um, that can be really helpful. I do think we also need to recognize as an internal coach that there there will be a point when maybe what's needed is more an external coach. And so to kind of have an idea of what would that look like. So really, if if I find that I'm so invested in this that it is hard to set to the side what's needed, then maybe I need somebody else to step in. Yeah. <clears throat> it sounds like that's a great space for supervision. Yes. Yeah, exactly, Sheree. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've been focusing on this past, well, a little bit over a year, 
is bringing coaching supervision over into the agile space. And it's because mm-hmm. of this exact thing. You're in there. Sometimes you're in there alone. And yeah. so you don't have those coaches around you. And so working with a supervisor to reflect on that stuff um, is what I'm thinking could be helpful. Absolutely. I think the timing of what you're uh, proposing and what you're bringing, Sheree, is perfect. Um, absolutely, that's what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said something a little while ago, and I was like, oh, talk more about that. Okay. And it was when you, when you talked about when we're listening, we're listening for what's right, not for what's broken. And so with agile coaches, like, there's almost this instinctual, I'm going in there to fix things, even though, you know, you can't fix them. Um, you have to see people as competent. But that's such a different way of thinking. And so I'm wondering, what would you say to adult coaches, right? They're going in there a lot of times. I'm thinking I'm a consultant. My client's broken. I know how to fix them. I'm listening for everything that's wrong. I'm not listening for what's right. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. What would you say to that? So, so I would think, first of all, there's a reason why the title is Agile Coach and not Agile Consultant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the first thing. Yeah. That says to me that you start in the coaching role, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and even as an external coach, you know, you start with the, the coaching stance, you see the greatness, you see what's possible. And then there are times when what the person needs is for you to advise or to tell. And that is a competency to share our expertise. But if you start with the coaching stance and then you just see that's exactly what they need to move forward, you switch that hat. Let me consult a bit. Now let me go back to the coach stance. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I, I think as agile coaches, <laughs> you have a chance to really demonstrate just the, the value of, of Continually going back to that agile coach hat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And as you as you were developing this kind of topic of internal coaching, I presume as you were talking about ROI and listening stories about ROI, you got a lot of stories, mm-hmm. uh, not only how to show the ROI, but also what ROI organizations got from developing internal function, developing internal coaches. So what can you share? Maybe maybe stories, maybe numbers that would basically to our listeners would be, hmm, that's probably a good idea to start thinking about it. Let's let me think. So um you know some of the stories I heard were um you, you know that hallway coaching piece where people coaches recounted uh, people years later saying, you probably don't remember this, but while we were walking together down the hallway or while we were sitting side by side on that plane trip, you know, to go, you know, work with the division that's over here, we had a conversation and you were really, really helpful. And, you know, they're recounting that that, that was a defining moment in their life. And so, you know, you know, to me, that goes back to the, it starts with listening. So to be in that mode of listening, that coaching stance all the time. Um, th- that was the main piece, uh, you know, in terms of other ROI, I know there, there are two coaches in, in Calgary 
that I interviewed who are big on demonstrating your worth. And, um, you know, they shared a number of just very informal surveys that they used all the time, you know, scale of one to 10, where are you now? Then afterwards, where, where are you now at the end of our coaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that seemed to be biggies. So, Alex, uh-huh. I don't know if that's what you're asking, but. Well, I, I, I still want to go a, a little bit deeper. So let's say organization, uh, somebody from HR listening to our podcast and they're like, well, yeah, it sounds like good. It sounds there's a lot of stories that are success stories, but how do I go to my CHRO and how do I sell them even on the idea that, hey, can we invest several hundred grand into mm-hmm. starting developing this? So okay. what would your suggestion be kind of what's the motivation there? Um, so most of the people I interviewed started small. So they didn't go for a hundred grand or more, but they, they started with Sheree and Alex are offering this training. <laughs> you know, it's an introduction to coaching and they, they get that introduction. Um, I'd like to start this in my department, you know, and then they kept the stories, the data and they kept presenting that. Um, they did a lot of educating. Here's what, what coaching is. Here's what it isn't. So taking what they were learning and, and doing lunch and learn, those kind of things, just recognizing that it's a wave that you can kind of build and, mm-hmm. and just keep going at this. I mean, the organization I'm training right now, um, I'm training seven people right now in their organization, and it took almost a year just to get the funding for that. Uh, a lot of legwork involved to get to that point. <laughs> Definitely, there were no, no conversations there about agility, at least agility in budgeting. <laughs> I, I think the reason I got the contract, Alex, was that I hung out the longest. You know, all the other contractors gave up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but this just points to the reality of it's, it's coaching is valuable. But it's really hard to describe the value. You have to yes. experience it. Mm-hmm. And that's just as hard in an organizational sense as it is in an individual sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, what else is in the book that we haven't talked about? Hmm. That's, you know, something you want to bring out. Something I want to bring out. What else? Are we Wait, you know what? About? It doesn't even have to be in the book. We've been talking about the book. <laughs> what do you want to say now? Oh, well, well, well. <laughs> Well, I, I think, you know, the motivation for writing the book, Cherie, is, is that, I mean, we have our, our coach training program as well. And more and more of the students that are showing up are managers, leaders, people that want to use this internally. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what I want to just say is that, that this is rapidly growing, the interest in this area. Uh, you know, again, the, the survey from of 2020 coaches, for, since 2015, there's been a 46% increase in interest among managers and leaders in coaching, period. I mean, it's rapidly growing. It sounds like managers want to learn coaching. I wonder if mm-hmm. that's because companies don't – it's too hard to get the companies to invest in coaches, so they're mm-hmm. like, we'll just be coaches. <laughs> well, I, I think there is something to that. And, and, you know, money speaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so the book is in the print, and 
of course, you're like, the moment I send it to the print, I have all this list <laughs> that I wanted to add to that. Yeah. So life goes on. In 2021, we are pretty much at it. Four months, five months, yeah. kind of first half of 2021, and so far it's shaping a little bit better than last year. So, what's on your desk for the remainder of 2021? Uh, the remainder of 2021, um, more and more, kind of these kind of interviews. You're, you're actually the. I was telling Cherie, this is the first one. Mm-hmm. So, um, there is a lot of interest in. Okay, tell me more about internal coaching. What do I need to know? Uh, where do we need to begin? Those kind of things. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with a number of other organizations just to create an internal coaching program. That's now kind of like my hot spot, my passion. Uh, looking forward to that. In our regular training, we've trained on five continents and five different languages. So I want to do the same now with internal coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I I was telling my wife earlier, I, I miss traveling so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As soon as I'm able, I'm going to go. I just want to be on a plane again. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, so Val, how do people get in touch with you? Um, well, coachingfortodaysleaders.com would be the easiest way, and it's the number four. Um, or they can even just put my name in jvalhastings.com. That'll bring it up. Um, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, all those usual places. Um, they probably should know I'm the kind of person, if you email me or call me, I'm going to email you back or call you back. I often, when I return calls, I get this, you really called? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do that anymore? <laughs> I do. <laughs> To the best of my ability. So, awesome. So, yeah, yeah. But I'd love to hear from people, their ideas. Um, if you're looking to launch a program, happy to do that. I know the two of you do that work as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all in the same field. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Val, thank you so much for um, coming today and spending some time with us. Hey, uh, really pleasure. great to hear about your book, uh, about... 10 plus 1 um, coaching commandments, <laughs> guiding principles. Yeah. Um, wishing you a lot of luck with um, with the book, with a series of interviews, with kind of getting in the door and expanding that business of bringing training to uh, organizations. Uh, and, well, uh, we'll see you around. Hey, absolutely. And, uh, yep, and this was uh, Tandem Coaching Academy, Skipping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast, and we were your hosts today, Shory Silas and I, Alex Kudnov. Bye now.